Good morning. Isn't it awesome to be together in one service? Amen. Let's, let me add one more line to that. I think you might clap. Isn't it awesome to be together in one service in the air conditioning? Yes. Can you imagine living in the deep south before air conditioning? I don't even want to think about it, all right? Guys, if you're new with us today, we're in the middle of this series from the book of 1 Peter. Go ahead and take 1 Peter out if you have your journal, or if you have your phone, or your Bible. And uh, we're in this series called Holy Living in a Hostile Culture, in a Hostile World. And, and the thing that happens is that Peter says that we're foreigners. And, and he's saying to us today, someone is watching you. You ever been watched? You ever been in a situation where someone was just sort of keeping up with you and you just made you a little bit uncomfortable? Maybe you've been to a foreign country, sort of like Peter's talking about, and you go in there as an American, they watch you. There was a famous book written years ago called The Ugly American, which was about how Americans in foreign cultures are loud and obnoxious and they don't always like us. And so we go to somewhere, somebody watches us. Can you imagine being an American today in Russia in the way you'd be watched even by the government? And what Peter's saying is to these people and to us is somebody's watching you. Now, the best advice I've ever received from this was when I was 19 years old. It was my first ministry job. I was a youth minister my sophomore year in Northport. And we had this older man come preach for a while. He's a really wonderful man named John T. Smithson, Jr. And after the meeting, he was really sweet to me, and he gave me a Bible. And then he said to me, he said, young man, I want you to know that everybody in this church watches everything you do. That made sense to me. I was pretty cool, pretty good looking. I mean, just, <laughs> sorry about that. <laughs> they didn't even think that then. Um, and, 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 and then he said, he said, everybody watches every move you take. And then he says this, you can either be upset about that or you can use it for God's glory. Either you can be tired of being checked on and watched. It didn't help the day I fell asleep during the, the preacher's sermon. I mean, you, you, can, you, you can know that you're being watched, or you can go, you know what? People are watching me, and I'm going to use this for God's glory. And that's what Peterson said to us today. First of all, let's look at a couple of passages from the writings of the Apostle Paul. Make the teaching of God, our Savior, attractive. Because our goal is for people to go, you know what? There's something attractive about your lifestyle that I want to be a part of. I love this translation of 1 Thessalonians 1 verse 8. Live your faith out loud, speaking and living the message of Christ for all to see. Now, let's go to 1 Peter. Let's, we, we landed last week in verse 9, one of the great verses in all the Bible. And let's, let's go back there and see what Paul or Peter says about how we should live. First of all, he tells us who we are. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. Now here's the reason. That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Peter says, here's what we're, we're to do. We're to declare how good God is. One modern translation says, we are God's advertisement to the world. But please pay attention to how Peter starts. He starts by saying, here's who you are. Guys, if we walk into the hostile culture that we live in America today, where, you know, there's certain words you can say, certain words you can't say. There's things you can do at work, things you can't do at work. Some of you are muffled by what you could say about your Christianity because the culture's hostile. 
If we come in there in such a way that we don't know who we are, we're going to be run over. It always starts with your identity. We're God's holy nation. We're his holy priesthood. We're his own. And out of that identity, we can be bold. I remember reading a book about marriage years ago, one of the best books I've ever read, called The Marriage Builder. And he said one of the biggest problems in marriage is often we come in marriage expecting the other person to meet all of our needs. And when they don't, we get in these terrible cycles. The truth is there's nobody on the face of this earth who can meet all your needs. And if you're looking for that, you're going to be disappointed. But here's what the book said. What I need to do as the husband is I need to first of all have my security and significance in Jesus Christ. And what my wife must do is have her security and significance in Jesus Christ. And out of that identity, she can love me even when I'm not who I ought to be. And I can love her even when she's not who she ought to be. And so the love never stops. And what Peter's saying to us is we can only make the gospel attractive, first of all, guys, if we know exactly who we are. So, when we do that, we can live out loud, and that's what we're talking about today, and eventually we can speak out loud. Now, there's a quotation that's uh, been around for years. Nobody really quite knows who said it, but it's a good quotation. Preach the gospel at all times. When necessary, use words. You hear that? Preach the gospel at all times. When necessary, use words. What's he saying? You live it out loud. And that will lead, hopefully, because words are going to be necessary. I'd have to disagree there. Words eventually are necessary. But live it out loud. So, as we get back to Peter, Peter's going to talk about five different groups today and how their example makes the gospel attractive. I was reading a book this week about the culture we live in as Christians. It says, guys, there's... There's two extremes of our response to this culture. Number one, and you see many Christians do this, we go on the attack. We we cause a lot of bad things to happen. We go on the attack, or the other extreme is that we can just completely withdraw. I don't like what's going on. Let's get in our little Christian corner and not fool with the world. My friends, that's not Peter's answer. Peter's answer is not go attack the culture you're in. It's not to withdraw from the culture. It is to be God's faithful presence in the middle of the culture. Okay? So let's start thumbing through 1 Peter. Let's start in verse 12. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. So when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. First of all, guys, we got to live out loud among the unbelievers. That, that's what the word Gentile means here. It's people who don't believe. And what Peter basically says here is they're looking for an excuse to reject the gospel. And if they can find something in our life that allows them not to listen, they will. And think about what's said about us in our culture today. We are judgmental. We are arrogant. We are hypocritical. We use a lot of quote-unquote hate speech. What do we do? Peter says, in the midst of that, you live in such a way that changes their mind. One translation says, you refute their prejudices. Understand, guys, we're walking into a world with lots of prejudices. My life needs to be so attractive for Jesus that it refutes those prejudices. I remember working with college students. And, you know, really challenge them to be evangelistic. Go share their faith. 
And, and now I would say on the first day of class, when you go in that class, you don't need to, to sit in your chair and look to the person beside you and say, if Jesus came back right now, would you go to heaven or hell? That doesn't need to be your first lines. In fact, your first lines don't even need to be about Jesus. You need to walk in that classroom and be the kindest person there. You need to be helpful to somebody who's struggling in the class. If you're in the study group, you be the person who shows up and makes it happen. You make the gospel attractive. And guys, as we are among unbelievers, guys, first of all, what they need to see is they need to see that we are helpful. I remember meeting a guy at the gym years ago, and he was a big old guy, and I started talking to him. He looked like Superman. And, um, you know, I was, trying, I was wanting to share the gospel with him, but I figured out he really had had some bad church experiences. He had bad experiences with Christians. So I didn't need to say, but I found out he's living with his girlfriend, but I found out with his previous girlfriend, he'd had a child. And he begins to share with me, and the more I get to know him, he's sharing his frustrations about having this child, but because of rights in Alabama for a dad who wasn't married, he can't see his kid in Birmingham. So I decided my first step with Brandon was not I needed to get him to church. He did come later. My first step with Brandon was not to share the gospel. I later did. My first step was I needed to help him get a lawyer in Birmingham so he could see his child. Because that's how we make the gospel attractive. We're kind. We're gentle with people. We, we, we have a peace in the middle of craziness that they don't see anywhere else. So that's our first challenge among unbelievers. Go down to verse... 13, this will really challenge us about being citizens. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be the emperor as supreme, or the governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put silence, you should silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Here's where I would have stopped if I'd been there. Honor the emperor? You're kidding me. This is where we're we're pretty challenged. I mean, he's saying here, as citizens, we've got to honor people in power. Because that's so hard in America today. I don't know what political persuasion you are, but we treat everybody as as the absolute enemy. In my lifetime, I believe every president I've known since George W. Bush has been called Hitler by the opposition. That's crazy. And guys, what he says here is that we got to honor people in power. That doesn't mean you agree with them, but that you respect the office. You say, ain't no way I can do that, buddy. Listen, these people were asked to honor, guess who? Nero. If they can honor Nero, we can honor the people in power. Why? Because God said, I put these people in place. Government's been put in place by God to protect us. Now, there's a place where it goes too far. If our government asks us to disobey God, if our government asks us to do things that violate our conscience as Christians, we got to go back to what Peter said in the book of Acts. We must obey who? Are you guys with me? We must obey rather than men. Yeah, absolutely. So guys, as citizens in this country, guys, we need to be the people who don't get in these ugly social media fights that make us look not like Christians. 
We, the people who respect people and honor people and do what God's asked to do, we pray for our leaders. You say, how in the world can I do that? I mean, the, the, our country's falling apart around us. It's gone crazy. I agree. How can we do that? It's back to our identity, guys. We are the people who trust God. Listen, our trust is not in government. Our trust is not in political parties. Now, listen to me. And I do it sometimes, too, so I'm not jumping on you. But when we panic about the political situation, we are saying we're not really trusting God. If they cannot panic under Nero, who eventually crucified them on crosses, we can show honor and respect to our government. That's what he's asking us to do. Let's go a little further. Let's go to verse 18. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing. When mindful of God, one endures sorrows, you know, for suffering unjust. For what credit is it if we, when you sin or are beaten for it, you endure? But if you do good and suffer for it, you endure. This is a gracious thing in the sight of God. Now, let's talk about this for a moment. These are difficult passages. I'm interpreting this as as applicable to our workspace, okay? But you you recognize here, it's it's actually talking about slavery. And let's let's first of all point out, slavery in a Greco-Roman culture was quite different than what American 18th century slavery was. Uh, In fact, a a third of the population were, were slaves, okay? But that doesn't mean it wasn't evil, It's evil for any man to own another person, okay? And in the long term, the gospel will destroy slavery. But right now, Peter says, in your situation, you need to live as someone who makes the gospel attractive. How can we do that? Because our identity and trust is in God. Now listen to this next line. This applies to everything we're talking about here today. And this line makes me uncomfortable. It's going to make you uncomfortable. Our witness for Jesus is more important than our rights. Now, we're Americans. We're, we're, we're raised. I've got to defend my rights. No, no, no. That's not what Peter. We're, we're going to talk about suffering in a couple of weeks. Our witness for Jesus is more important than our rights. So when you go to work, you may have a really good boss, or you may have a lousy boss. And in whatever way that cuts, God has called you to be respectful. God has called you to do good, even when you're being mistreated. What is your work ethic? Does it show Jesus? What's your attitude at work? Does it show Jesus Christ? How do you handle it when you're mistreated? You see, guys, people got to see something extremely different about us, and this is so hard, especially when you think, you know, I should have been promoted, and they shouldn't have been promoted, or, or I should have gotten this, or I can't believe they did this about me. Guys, that's, that's so hard. I'm not making light of that at all. But it's not an excuse for us not to be a Christian witness. What do you do behind closed doors when your boss is being talking bad about Do you participate? You see, one thing Christians should do is when we're in rooms where people are talking bad about, we ought to be advocates for the people that aren't in the room. That's going to be different. We don't don't participate in the office gossip. We're we're different. 
A lot of challenges we go there. Now go over to chapter 3. And this is another very challenging situation. And he's writing to, to wives who become Christians. Their husbands are unbelievers. And he says some very powerful things here. Verse 1. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. When they see your respectful and your pure conduct. Where do we live out loud, guys? One of the most important places, and yet I think many of us might find one of the most challenging places is in our family. But I love what Peter says here. Wives, if you have an unbelieving husband, don't go home and hit him on the head with the Bible. Don't nag him endlessly about whether he's going to church or not. You go home and you live, we'll talk about this much more next week, you live in such a pure and holy way that he, listen to this, that he is won over without words. And that's tough. And that applies to all of our families. And sometimes, if we be honest, guys, it's family that's the hardest place to relive this thing out. Because we know their past, they know our past, we know their buttons, they know our buttons. I'm talking to a young Christian who's going home for the first time since they've become a Christian. Or some of you will understand this. Some of you, your, your, your family background is for, from a much more traditional Church of Christ than Landmark. Some of you won't understand this. But because of that, your parents look at you with suspect. Okay? This is what I say to that young Christian. This is what I say to that person who's become to Landmark and know your parents aren't real happy about it. You go home and you let them see how different you are. You let them see what a difference Jesus Christ has made in your life. You let them see that Landmark has helped you become a kinder, nicer, more respectful person. And, and, and Peter says, guys, you can win them over without a word. And then one more passage here that really sums it all up in a very powerful way. 1 Peter 3.15 But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared... To make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that's in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. Last category is anyone. Peter says, anyone who's around you, live in such a way, live out loud, so that it can open that opportunity for you to speak out loud. He says, you live in such a way that eventually somebody's going to have to say, man, what makes you so different? How can you be respectful to that boss when none of us are? How in the world do you make it when your family's suffering like that and you don't give up? You know, you know Peter says the biggest distinctive of us in this verse is they're going to ask us about our hope. Because I don't know about you, but sometimes I think the world looks hopeless. Sometimes I feel hopeless even about myself. You know, so, and, and here's what, what Peter says is, no, the difference between you and other people is, no matter how bleak the situation is, no matter how mad you are about the politics, no matter how mad you are about the nation, no matter how mad you are about how you're treated at work, you are grounded in hope. That's what First Peter 1 was all about. We have a living hope based on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And out of that hope, hopefully people will see us. They're like, how do you, I mean, I know what's going on in your life. I, I, I know what's happening with your children. I, 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 I know about the cancer. I, I, I know about 
the unemployment. I, I know about you losing your house. I, how in the world do you stay so joyful in the middle of that? Well, that's awesome. We make the gospel attractive. Now, Tom Harbin, Tom, where are you, Tom? Because, okay, Tom, this is, this is Tom's moment. Okay, we can talk about snakes for a second. All right? <laughs> Jesus said, we're to be wise as what, Tom? Snakes. Okay, this is our snake handling elder, okay? We are to be, we are to be wise as snakes. Now, I've never really got that, Tom, but I want to I be with you today, okay? You know what Jesus is saying about a snake? What's a snake do? A snake says, somebody walked in today and said they were fighting a snake in their backyard today. I'm sorry. But anyway, and a snake stays hidden in the grass until the right time to strike. And Jesus is saying to us in a positive light, because sometimes we need to keep our mouth shut. Sometimes we don't need to say everything we think. Sometimes we just need to endure. Guys, if we think that I've got, you know, if someone does something sinful in front of me, it is not my job to correct them. Why, why should I be surprised when Christians don't act like, when non-Christians act like non-Christians? So, so what I got to do is, and Jesus said it, so don't get mad at me. I got to be like a snake in the grass. And sometimes I got to conceal it. Sometimes I got to stay hidden for the right moment when I can strike with the gospel. The right moment they, you know what? Everybody around here is complaining like crazy. Why are you so different? Well, I love that. So two questions to close out this time. What are your circles of influence? And all of us, it may be all five of these we've mentioned today. Where do you have an influence? And are, can I ask you sincerely, I'm asking myself, are you making the gospel attractive? Do people just watch you? And they are. And just by the way that you live, they go, wow, there's something inviting about your life. Okay, we got some folks here today that are going to really... As we cut away from the live service, let me take this opportunity to thank you so much for joining us online. Uh, ever since COVID, this has become a, a really great tool. I know many of you uh, across the country join us almost every Sunday, and that means so much to us. Also, many of you in the River Region use this as the, the front door to Landmark as your first way to check us out, and I, I hope that what you see makes you want to come and be with us in person. Right now in the Worship Center, I'm interviewing a couple of our, our missionaries and um, where they are missionaries is so sensitive that we can't put it online for the risk of their government uh, getting upset and even even kicking them out of the country. So I, uh, thank you for bearing with us through this. But I'm, I'm excited about the opportunity we have together as we prepare for communion this morning is to, to look in the book of First Peter. And I, I guess what what hits me as I read through this is how much Peter talks about the cross. Our missionaries that are sharing right now, when I sat down with them to prepare our interview, I love what one of them said to me, because we're talking about exactly our topic today of how we influence people for Christ, how we get people to, to want to ask us about what's different about our life. And he expressed that their end goal is to get people to the cross. In the culture that they live in, the cross is um, looked down upon. I mean, it's embarrassing that a God would die such a shameful death. And so you can't start by talking about the cross. But as always, 
You want to get someone to the cross because it's so powerful. And that's what I honestly love about our communion time together. Is every Sunday, one way or the other, we get to the cross. And so I was just reading through 1 Peter today and looking for different ways where the cross is brought up. From the very introduction in verse 2, where he says that we've been called according to foreknowledge of God the Father, the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ, and for sprinkling with his blood. So right off the bat, the blood of Jesus shed on the cross is part of Peter's theme. I like what one translation says here, the blood will keep you obedient to your salvation in Jesus. Keep us obedient. Well, out of a sense of thankfulness. And again, as we're reading through these verses, I think what sort of is, is interesting here is to remember who wrote this is Peter. And, and if you remember, Peter missed the cross. He ran when Jesus was at the cross. But now the same guy who ran all through this book will say, you got to get back to the cross. Then at the end of chapter 1, he's talking about how prophets and angels have been searching and wanting to know what was God's mysterious plan and how blessed we are now to know it. He says, um, they didn't know the suffering of Christ and the subsequent glories. We've been let in on this secret that God's mysterious plan from the beginning was to do something no one could have guessed which was giving his very son in our stead on a cross. And we're very blessed to know that. And then if you go further, even in, still in chapter 1, he says, You are ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like the lamb without blot, blemish or spot. So again, he goes back to Jesus. Now he refers to Jesus as that sacrificial lamb on the cross to his precious blood. And I like what he said here. It didn't just ransom us from our sins. It ransomed them from our futile ways. And guys, when we look at the way of the world, you know, God's not only come to say, I want to put you in a safe relationship with me. I want to save you and ransom you from the futility of a life that really doesn't count and that doesn't matter. And then as we keep on reading through 1 Peter, we get to chapter 2, where we are today. And uh, listen to what he says, verse 22. Jesus committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. What an incredible summation of what Jesus did for us on the cross that we celebrate over these next few moments. You know, we're going with this theme today that someone is watching you. And I want you to walk out in just a few minutes and and remember that people are watching what your life is like and that you have the opportunity to display Jesus. But before you leave, I also want to know one of those someone who's watching you 
is God himself. The last verse of 1 Peter 2, 25 says, For you are like straying sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your soul. Listen to me, my friends. God is watching you. Now, when I was growing up, I thought that was scary. We sang this awful song about God is the all-seeing eye watching the, in the course was watching you, watching you, watching you. And, and, and it was to scare us. And like, you know, God's watching me. I'm getting, no, that's not the way scripture uses that. God is watching you. And God's not watching you somehow trying to find a way to, to catch you. God's watching you seeking to keep you. God's watching you seeking to empower you. And so as you walk away from this place, I want you to walk away knowing the presence of God is with you. You're not by yourself. We can't do this on our own. God's going to be the one who opens doors. It's the Holy Spirit's going to be the one who empowers us. And so we're about to sing what we call a a song of invitation. In our church, this is a a time of great openness. And, And this morning, I would invite you, if you're living in a very hostile situation and you need some help, very negative situation, maybe at work or home or community, and you need us to pray for you about you being a light in that. If today you know that your life has not really been that different and it's not made the gospel attractive and you'd like to repent because the worst thing that hurts our cause is hypocrisy and you want to come before God today and say, man, I want my life to become attractive. Or maybe in your family or the people around you or people in this church have made the gospel so attractive that you've heard the good news of Jesus Christ and today you are ready to surrender your life to him and to be buried in baptism and be resurrected to a brand new life. Please meet us up here as we all stand and sing together.